Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, MIP is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to hear MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Ladies and gentlemen, as difficult as it may be, be to believe it was 60 years ago, July 16, 1960, that the Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. was arrested for the first time in his life, committing an act of civil disobedience. And we have Reverend Jackson here now to share that experience with us. Reverend Jackson, how you doing, man? Very well, sir. Congratulations on your 60th anniversary. First of all, a, a lot of people don't know the story. They know about you at A&T. But before you went to A&T, you went to the University of Illinois, right? Well, there's a football player. And actually what happened was I was in a senior speech class. 
and I had to do a speech with 25 annotated bibliographers. I was home for the first time, and I went to the colored library. They didn't have enough books. So you go to the, the downtown, my friend will give you the books. I got there, and two police were with her, and they were laughing. I thought it was not coincidental. And she said, I'll give them to you in a week. I said, I, I, it's just two of us. Let me get them there. Please hear what she said. And I got the message. I, I cried. I was hurt. Leave my friends the first time I hadn't seen them in, in six months. So that summer, that, that, that January actually, Jackie Robinson came to Greenville during a state NAACP convention. Mrs. Hall at the at, at airport refused to sit in the colored section because it was dirty. And so that was a Reverend Hall of 1,500 people, January the 1st. The city in Greenville was February the 1st. So it was a pregnant moment, Mark. July the 16th, we gathered, eight of us gathered together at Springfield Baptist Church, Reverend Hall was passing. Went to the lot, went to the library, we were arrested. Um, and, and you went there uh, at the time where it's were black students even allowed to stay in the library or, or be in there for any length of time? No, no, matter of fact, there was not a single black policeman, the deputy sheriff, the highway patrolman. We live in a race bubble. In your, in your bubble, you may develop a comfort zone. You know, you're equally separate. The resources are equal. You know, Christians are having segregated dreams, segregated ambitions. We felt good about ourselves, but our conditions were quite limited. And it's interesting, you were just there for knowledge and education. You went there to, to get books for your homework assignment, and that was denied you. Well, actually, you know, in slavery time, uh, we got taught reading is the key to revolution. Literacy is the key to liberation. It's interesting that most of our school is around libraries and, and transportation. You read, write, count, and, and move is not compatible with slavery. Right. It, it, it can't coexist. Did you ever, did you know then that you'd be going to jail for 60 years thereafter? Did you imagine that? Well, I didn't. It was really somewhat impulsive. You know, we were, we hit the outer edges of segregation. There's no black working downtown at J.C. Penn's and Buxton selling clothes. We couldn't sell shoes. We didn't own the service. We were just locked out. But again, we developed a comfort zone. So once I was, I lost my fear of jails and death that day. I remember coming home, uh, and I felt good about what we had done. And my dad was sitting in the, the street in the number two tub, flexing. And so I thought he'd be happy that he was afraid the house would be bombed, the mother would be killed, and the beauty shop next door. I learned my courage from him. I thought they'd be proud of what I'd done, but they, in fact, was afraid that if we, uh, in fact, protested, they would, would be bombed. And eventually, they did burn our high school down. You all were arrested on that day. How long did they keep you in jail, Reverend? It was a process, and two thousand process, and put us in jail per se. 
Okay. Uh, I, the reason I, I was slow to talk about it, I can't brag about it too much. We were, we were told in the orientation, the Christians don't, don't respond. They uh, put a cigarette in your neck, take it. Be not about be disciplined. We were, we were prepared for the worst. You probably rest. We got that in the police said now. Uh, by the count of three, if you don't leave, we're going to arrest you. One, two, we turned around and went back to church. We all say, why get back? They got arrested. He said, hell, I sent you to get arrested. We went back the second time. <laughs> 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 yeah, I meant to be put in jail. And so, uh, really, it was an exciting moment in our lives. And I talked with six of my classmates in jail meetings last night. Oh, really? And, yeah, tomorrow at three o'clock, we're going to have a uh, uh, Thomas, I want you to be on this with the telephone because they don't have Zoom down the very, very yet. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. The morning three o'clock Eastern time, we're going to talk about the experience to them. And, I mean, we, we couldn't apply to Clemson. Maurice here, well, one, one of our uh, the professor at Clemson, another one of the first by the University of South Carolina. So, really, we were. We chose the world. We had the discipline to take on the fight. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the bug, the bug bit you then, didn't it? Yeah, it became a struggle for dignity. Uh, I went to A and T that fall. Yes, sir. The citizens have gone to A and T February the first, but by that fall, they were back as usual. And SNCC was formed that spring, in in Raleigh at Shaw University. Uh, John Lewis and, and Julian Vaughn and Baron Barron and uh, Alvin Dawson and Dan Nash and Helen Home Norton, that group. And uh, and so, it's interesting, we were thinking about sitting in in Greenville. Nashville planning to it with Jim Lawson, Jane Bevel, and Ben Lafayette. Greensboro did it, like 200 mile radius. It was a pregnant moment in time. And I think we represent our, our, our generation well. So we, we stayed, we, we hooked up at SCLC with Dr. King. And I was an NAACP youth member at the time. And the public commission bill was a, a slightly, you know, the, the day he gave the speech in Washington, from from, uh, from Texas to Florida to Maryland, we could use a single public toilet. My school class could take a picture on the state of the state capitol. Uh, and I think about where we are today. Black males in Montgomery, Alabama, and Selma, Alabama, and Birmingham, Alabama. So the kingdom saw black men in Atlanta. Yeah. Red, Red Force since he was killed. Yeah. Um, and what, what it means to have 60 blacks in the conference. Three more blacks elected last Tuesday in New York and, and, and in Virginia. And that's because the first time, and this way, some whites began to vote for blacks the first time. These guys won the majority of white districts. There's something afoot now that's, that's worth embracing. Do you see in many of the young people today, in this moment of reckoning, Black Lives Matter and all that, people still out demonstrating in the street. Um, our friend Tamika Mallory um, uh, arrested to try to get Brianna Taylor's killers arrested just on yesterday. Um, do you see the activism of this generation as similar to what you did 
60 years ago? Yeah, it must be applauded. One thing we did, we, we connected with, we, we, we didn't start something new, we, we extended something. That's important because SNCC started, it didn't last. Palace didn't last. Those who were connected to, Dr. King was connected to the National Baptist Convention. Kicked out some of the convention, but my point is, movements last, our, our movements must have roots, must have depth, survive the long haul. But this generation of protests is magnificent. I appreciate every moment of it. And I march whenever I can. Yes, sir. And we appreciate you still marching. But, but see, what concerned me about Louisville, Brennan Taylor, 60 is the home of, of Ali. The 70% of West Louisville is not, is not, doesn't have internet. Yeah. So while we focus on the police, be careful. Police represent the epidermis, the outer layer. This thing is bone deep. And inheritance and access mean more effort and hard work. And so it's not police patrol, they don't control. But beyond police at some point, there's those who control even the police. The banks that will not lend, the insurance companies will not invest. Uh, access to, 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 to mass media, uh, to, 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 to development. So while I applaud the struggle against police while patrolling, it's important, you know, in, in, in uh, Minnesota, uh, for some policemen have been arrested in the history of Minnesota for killing a black. Uh, but it's, it, we, we talk with, with the uh, uh, the day before with the uh, prosecutor in the county, you can figure out that when, when uh, what's going to took over, uh, what's his name, El- Ellison. Keith Ellison, Attorney Keith General. Ellison had four of them arrested. It's the power of the vote, the power of, of, of a multiracial vote. I mean, you couldn't be the Attorney General of Minnesota unless we have a lot of white votes. Uh, when, when the guy was killed in Atlanta, Georgia, Paul Howard, uh, uh, charged with murder. So the, the, the vote and marching the feet and multiracial coalitions really do work. Vote, marching the feet and multiracial coalitions really do work. They are three biggest weapons, really. Um, before we go, we'd be remiss if we didn't get a, a, another word from you. We always appreciate a word from you about the importance of voting, even this upcoming uh, November. You as... You are the one individual who has registered more voters than anyone in history. Um, as we go, talk to us about how important it is to keep uh, the vote front of mind and us voting front of mind as we head toward November. Dr. King said one of the huge fathers about voting was that when Emmett Hill was killed and the killers testified in court, the jury knew who the killer were, they were almost bragging about done it. They was out like 30 minutes. I would have been sure enough and smoked a cigarette. There, there was no blacks on the jury. One black jury could have hung the jury. The, the New York Times asked one of the jurors, why didn't you convict this jury? I can imagine why we're going to jail for killing a nigger. We had no, only those who were votes can serve on juries. Fast forward to Minnesota, I said to one of the young men in Minnesota, I said, it's, it's registered vote. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in the system. I say, if, if George Floyd's killing in the court, if you convicted, I wouldn't talk out of convicted. I said, not unless you register the vote. Although the register can serve as jurors. So this thing has, has that. 
so what is the case of uh, uh, um, Minnesota, the case of Atlanta, well, the, the, the day before George Floyd's, the Tuesday before George Floyd's funeral, the black woman is now mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. That's a big deal, you know? And uh, and the the right-wing congressman from Iowa was defeated. The vote. Well, and I, I had a conference call, you were part of it, about a month ago. It brought tears to my eyes. Black mayor from Montgomery, Selma, Birmingham, most from Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, Bangor, Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana. I don't take that for granted, man. The, 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 the vote has power. That's why they, that's why they try to take it from us. Because we five thousand black were lynched in 1940 about the vote. Vote, vote with the passion in this time. It, it will make a difference in November. Reverend Jesse Jackson, folks. Uh, a protege of mine wrote an article in the Huffington Post, I think it was last year, and the headline was, Jesse Jackson is the most important political figure in U.S. history. Brother Jahan Jones wrote that. You all should check that out. Reverend Jackson, happy 60th anniversary of your first arrest, and thank you for every arrest you've made and every time you've been arrested, I should say, since then. God bless you, Reverend. Can I make this point? Uh... Zinzin Mandela died this week. My heart is so heavy. Yes. Nelson Mandela's daughter, Zinzi, a beautiful soul she was. I don't know why, how she died, but pray for the Mandela family, please. Yes. We all should. Thank you, Reverend. We love you. Love you. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, once again, one of our favorite times of the week and one of our favorite segments is, of course, Thursday Coast with the founder of Daily Coast and Civics with a Q. This is this is now my go-to person when it comes to you know, polls and prognostication all of the time exclusively. Civicswithaq.com. Marcos Melitsis joins us now. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Always good to uh, to see you and talk to you. So, were you surprised Jeff Sessions lost in Alabama? No, no. I mean, Donald Trump has been ragging on Sessions for what three years now, <laughs> so four years, like his entire term. And so it was it in a place like Alabama, which is as Trumpy a state as you can get. Uh, it was always going to be a tough slog for him, and and uh, it's a it's a bit of a um, sad ending for a sad character. And and um, I mean, I'm not sad for him, but it's a little pathetic to go from where he was as sort of the dean of the Alabama political uh, establishment to just sort of being tossed aside like nothing in a in a uh, Senate primary. So do you still not see any path to victory for Doug Jones? Uh, there is a, a path to victory. Is it a very realistic one? He is, he is, you know, I'd say he's probably the most endangered Senate 
or of any kind. And there's a lot of really endangered Republican senators. So it's just, you know, it's a state that Donald Trump won by 30 points last time. He's not going, Trump's not going to win it by as much this time around. Uh, um, the whole country's tightening in a, in a really interesting way. I mean, the, the reaction against Trump is pretty severe. Um, Sessions might have been the better candidate to run against in a general election just because he's so hated by Republicans that it may have split some of those off. But uh, <clears throat> the uh, the Alabama Democratic Party, <clears throat> excuse me, the Alabama Democratic Party last night, uh, Tuesday night uh, and Wednesday went on the offensive against Tuberville, the, the Republican nominee. And uh, he's a football coach and they're dressing up. <laughs> <laughs> account, the Alabama, that's that's why I'm, you 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 know what I'm talking about. The yes. Alabama Democrats Twitter account has inspired me all its own. I mean, and the language <laughs> they're speaking in Alabama, which is a college football state, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in Nashville, as you know. And when people start tweeting Tuberville lost to Vanderbilt, that's that's damaging in Alabama. Okay. <laughs> So when I saw that, I said, oh, because I asked Doug when he was on the show like two weeks ago. I said, so, man, are you going to work the whole Alabama Auburn football thing? And, you know, he Doug wants to be magnanimous and all this. <laughs> you know, Mark, I want to keep it, you know, at a civil level <laughs> because that's uncivil in Alabama when you do that, if you don't know. So when I saw these tweets. I was like and people are retweeting this it's gone viral like oh they like like blood has been drawn you know <laughs> so, that's why yes. i'm wondering is this some type of a, <laughs> a path to victory i mean it 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 is a path and to me that it would take three things one is you you get some blood you know you you peel some people away from tuberville just on his football record and there's some pretty good digs that they've gotten in you know some i think it's striking blood i mean it has to be uh, number two is Trump's um, falling support nationwide. And Trump is still going to win Alabama by a lot. But if he wins it by 20, it's a lot easier for um, for Doug Jones, a Democrat, to win as opposed to if Trump wins by 30, right? It's just simple math. It's how much you have to overcome that top of the ticket uh, numbers. And three, and this one is going to be bigger moving forward is COVID. Uh, just on Tuesday, the governor of Alabama announced that she was imposing a statewide mask requirement in Alabama. And she's she's been Trumpian Republican, has, has fought the whole idea of COVID being a thing. Uh, and even she escaped because Alabama, which is not a big state population-wise, has been hitting over a thousand daily new cases of the coronavirus, and their death rate is at an all-time high. If you look at it per capita, they are now amongst the top states in um, as far as coronavirus hotspots, and people are going to die. You know, the Republican rank and file in Alabama—they're gonna—they're not gonna want to wear masks, and even. KIV, the, the, the governor was like, we're not going to enforce it. We're just going to require it, but we're not even going to try to enforce it. Because they know if they try to enforce that thing in Alabama, you're going to have these a-holes with AR-15s walking around screaming about freedom, right? So um, it's going to remain unchecked. Next door, Florida's not even trying. They're not even trying to keep this thing under control. And you're going to export this stuff across street borders because viruses don't care about geographic boundaries. 
And so um, to me, COVID and the reaction to this now, you know, out of control epidemic in those Sunbelt states is going to have a profound impact on what happens in November. And I'm not talking just Alabama, I'm talking in Florida, in Texas, Arizona, I think is already out of reach for Trump. I mean, I think it's it's gone for the GOP, both at the presidential and at the Senate level. And people are not happy. And, and in civics, you can go. We, we track all 50 states' attitudes towards uh, the coronavirus. Uh, so you can see how in states like Texas and Arizona, um, and I actually haven't checked Alabama yet, but um, it, every other state is almost the same sort of uh, trajectory where people are increasingly disenchanted, not just with the federal government's response, but also with state government response, obviously, right? They're getting hammered. And that is going to translate into Republican troubles up and down the ballot. So does Doug Jones have a chance? I still think he's going to be the biggest margin. The lo- the biggest margin of loss is probably going to be Doug Jones. But the way things are trending, I'm not, I'm not willing anymore to say like, yeah, he's a goner. Um, Alabama Democrats, you all should check out the Twitter account. And they are so good. Hearing, so good. Um, two, <laughs> a, a new one. All the the football uh, teams he left. Tommy Tuberville said he'd leave Ole Miss in a pine box. Days later, he left for Auburn. Never told his players goodbye. At Auburn, he had a wandering eye every year. At Texas Tech, he ditched a recruiting a crew during dinner to leave for Cincinnati. Cincinnati. He lost the Iron Bowl, thirty-six to nothing. Um, uh, he, the Vanderbilt loss, but here's one. Listen to this. Senator Jones got justice for four little girls murdered during church by the Ku Klux Klan. Tommy Tuberville thought a one-game suspension was enough when one of his players was accused of rape. Which one cares more about your daughter's fu- future? So, yeah, they're, they're, I, that's why I asked, because when I saw that, I was like, maybe we have... <laughs> yeah, and so... And the thing about uh, Alabama, which is very similar to Mississippi, and if you look at the panhandle in Florida and Georgia, is that white people are overwhelmingly Republican. I'm, I'm talking in Alabama, it's probably 88%. If you're white, you're 88% likely to be a Republican. So obviously, talking about this, you know, uh, racial social justice issues is critical for Doug Jones. He needs a massive black turnout, which he got. That's why he's senator in the special election. He got huge black turnout in Alabama. Um, he needs that again. So clearly, he's going to be focusing a lot on those issues because white voters. He's not. He's. It's the South. I mean, white voters have a long way to go. Uh, but this is where the football sort of comes in handy, right? Because these these white Alabamans are are football obsessed. So he doesn't need Doug Jones doesn't need these people to vote for him. He just needs them to show up to the polls, mark that box for Donald Trump, which is what they're going to do, and go, oh yeah, that Tuberville guy's an a hole. We're not going to vote for that guy, and then move on. That's what he needs more than anything. So let me try to say this as circumspectly and diplomatically as I can. If I were in a conversation with someone in Doug Jones's camp and I said, well, you should reach out even more to the black community and black voters and women, and they were to say, 
well, yeah, Margaret, we're in a tight race and we need some of these white voters too. Marcos Melissus might insert himself to the conversation and say, no, well, that's actually wrong because most of those white voters are going to be Republican anyway. And so don't play too much to the wrong crowd, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually spoke with uh, Doug Jones, uh, top consultant before he won the special election. I ran into him in the, in the, in Washington DC at an event. And, and so I asked him about that. And I like, does he really have a chance? And the way he described it was, it was like, it was like a seesaw, right? Like you talk to the black community and then, you know, white voters are pissed off. And so they start losing them. And you go to talk to some white voters, then black voters are pissed off. And, and so it's sort of a tightrope that they have to walk for sure. Now, I will say that as we've talked about a lot in the last several years is that white women are actually gettable, especially white educated women. And um, Doug Jones did a good job of, of eating into Republican support, into white women against the reason he had record black turnout and white women weren't as Republican. They're still Republican, but not as Republican. That was his winning coalition. Now, in the special election, Trump wasn't on the ballot and he was running against a sexual predator. And he still almost lost because Alabama. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a tough slog. And But he, he, he knows he needs that black support. And the good thing about going after, after um educated white women is that they're actually pretty good on racial justice issues. By talking racial justice, you don't turn off. Um, and in fact, while Alabama's a big anti-abortion state, those educated white women are actually very much pro-choice. So there, it's not as much as a tightrope. If he's trying to win white men, forget it. I mean, it just ain't going to happen. <clears throat> there are over 90% Republican. <clears throat> but if he wants to peel away some of those white women, he can do so in a way that doesn't turn off the black community and vice versa. And I think that's the tightrope he's going to have to walk in. And when we're talking about football, like I said, he's not trying to win that vote. He's trying to suppress it. He's trying to say, ah, that guy's an a I don't want to see his face anywhere. And that's what they're going for. And, and if it works, it'll be one of the grand political coups of, of the, <laughs> definitely of this millennium so far, uh, because he shouldn't have been senator in the first place, and there's no way he should be reelected. So if he pulls it off, you know, it would be quite quite the feat. So it may not hurt to, to keep this an Alabama Auburn football thing uh, for women and men. It might work. Okay, Florida uh, out of control. Out of control. How those people down there, meaning the administration, the governor's administration, can even live with themselves? Um, does that well, but let me be clear. Was was Florida always in play? Is it in more play now or, or just what? So Florida was always in play. Florida is always in play. And Florida doesn't move, right? So we, you know, Trump won it by one point. Uh, DeSantis, the governor, won it by, what, a third of a point. Uh, we lost a Senate race there, Uh uh, Bill Nelson lost two years ago by a quarter of a point. And right now we're seeing states like Arizona and North Carolina and definitely the Midwest Trump states, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. 
they're all really starting to look out of reach for Trump. Florida's 50-50. <laughs> Florida doesn't move. And you can sort of, uh, you can see this sort of, there's a proxy way to kind of get a sense of where Trump is in any state. Is You can go to civics, civics with a Q, look at his Trump approvals by 50 states and look at his approval number and add between zero and two points, roughly. Sure. And that's how much he's getting in the head-to-head against Joe Biden. And if you look at Trump approval in Florida, he's at 47% and it's just flatlined. It doesn't move. Florida is like its own special kind of political uh, twilight zone uh, because we're, we're even Georgia, Georgia, you've seen some movement and Georgia's a historically red state and Biden is, he's not pulling away, but you know, what used to be a tight race, now he's up by two, three points. North Carolina, uh, we're seeing consistently Biden's up by five. In Pennsylvania, we just saw a poll by Monmouth, with the, which is the probably the best pollster in Pennsylvania, had Trump up, I mean, had Biden up by 12. Now, I'm not sure he's up by 12, but we're, in our numbers, we're definitely seeing uh, Biden pulling away in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. I, I, Michigan, for sure, is out of reach for Biden. Arizona's out, I mean, for Trump. Arizona's out of reach for Trump. So all these states are seeing these numbers move. And Florida is 50-50, and Florida feels like it will always be 50-50 to the end of time because it doesn't budge. And, and that's why we can ill afford some of the mishaps we've historically seen um, in, in Florida as well. That's, that's dangerous. There was a member of Congress, I can't think of her name right now, who said, and, and you've kind of just said, even said it just now. I mean, we can't, she even said, she went farther than me. She said, don't trust any of these numbers that Biden is ahead and mopping the floor with him. Uh, We cannot get comfortable with that. You agree? Yeah, there's, and we've actually had this discussion before. Um, You tell liberals we're winning and they freak out, right? Don't say that. Don't, don't, don't. Um, We're winning. It's okay to know we're winning, but if we want to use a sports analogy, we're, you know, it's football. We're winning, you know, 21 to seven at halftime. Does it mean we all go home? No, of course not. We got to play out the game. And I don't think there is a single liberal, progressive, Democrat, leftist, however you want to describe them, that's saying like, all right, we're good. (laughs) Let's call it a day. Everybody knows that we're going to have to fight all the way. We're going to have to play this out to the very, very end. And not just, and I, I don't even get the sense in past presidential elections, Mark, you know, we've, this has been a frustration with us that everybody sort of focused on the presidential race. And then nobody realizes that the president is one race out of thousands that we need to worry about, right? That's not happening right now. Democratic candidates down ballot in even long shot races are raising ungodly amounts of money. Jamie Harrison in South Carolina raised what, $13 million in in a quarter in South Carolina. Um, To give people context, what would normally be raised in a quarter in South Carolina would be about $750,000 for a Democrat. And he just raised, and that would be a good quarter. You'd be like, wow, he raised almost a million dollars. 13, that was it, 13 and a half, 13.4 million dollars 
So Democrats are lit up and that's all small dollar donations. It's like we don't have the billionaires to be bankrolling this stuff. So small dollar donations are, are flooding in. We're focused on ballot. We know that uh, that we need to win Senate races. And right now, I mean, I'm looking at plus five to plus seven pickup in the Senate. Um, the way trends are moving right now, we have a potential to pick up up to 11 seats, a net 11. Uh, and that's me assuming Alabama's lost. You want to throw out Alabama, you know, there's there's an outside in the biggest wave of waves to actually have plus 12. Um, am I expecting that? No, don't, don't call this a prediction, but that's how many seats are actually in play. And they're in play in places that we shouldn't be playing. Alaska, Kansas, Texas. I mean, these are not historic, uh, South Carolina. These are not states that are, should in any circumstances be, uh, be, uh, competitive at the Senate level. They are because Trump and the GOP have just so screwed things up. And it really comes down to the pandemic. I mean, it is actually going to be the death of the GOP unless something dramatic happens in the next few months. But what? 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 What are they going to do? I mean, you have this. The Republican campaign. You have a uh, Ivana Ivanka Trump like doing an endorsement for Goya food, like on Twitter, and they think this is funny or clever, or they're not trying to win votes. They're trying to get a cheer from their deplorable base. And again, if you're, if you're losing because you're losing uh, core Democratic constituencies, obviously, you know, uh, Black voters, Latinos, Asians, uh, urban whites, and uh, single people, young people, if you're losing them, okay, that's one thing. But you're losing educated suburban white women. So in 2018, Democrats picked up 41 House seats. 38 of them were suburban seats. I mean, this is just to get a sense of how the suburbs have flipped. How is, I I endorse Goya, going to win you back suburban white women. How is calling Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate going to win you suburban white women? How is ranting about Hunter Biden in the Ukraine, which I guess is a thing again, how is that going to win you suburban white women? They're not trying to win votes, which is why when I say we're, we're winning and I don't see how they turn it around is because they can't run a campaign to win the votes that they've lost. They yeah. just reinforce people's doubts. I mean, if you're a suburban white woman, you are you have flipped on Trump and the Republicans because you don't like the racism, the sexism, the bullying, the tone. You don't like those things. And yet they're doubling down on that. It's amazing. They know something. And and I think what they know, I mean, I think he's expecting some more help from Putin and another trick. I think he can. So Civics just did a poll of Montana this weekend. We released it on Tuesday. Trump is ahead of Montana, 49 to 45. Montana's competitive. Montana. He won Montana by 20 points three years ago, four years ago. And he's up only by four. Alaska is competitive. We just saw a poll out of Alaska. I've seen several polls out of Alaska that have it tied. Alaska. Sarah Palin territory. Competitive. You have even suggested that Lisa Murkowski leave the GOP. 
Yeah, Lisa Murkowski is, uh, is um, yeah, incumbent senator in Alaska. She is up for re-election in two years. She voted against killing the Affordable Care Act. She voted against uh, Kavanaugh. She is um, clear. She's a pro-choice, moderate. I mean, she, she breaks with Republicans more often than anybody else. And she actually was defeated in a Republican primary uh, four years ago. And she ran as a write-in candidate. And her name is Murkowski, right? So you, that's not the easiest name to, to write in. Her father, though, had been senator for decades. And then he was governor for another eight years. So it's from a, she's from a big political family. And so it's been clear for a long time that she has been uncomfortable with the GOP. And Donald Trump already said that his number one goal in 2022 is to get rid of Lisa Murkowski. So there is, she is, she is the chair of the Natural Resources Committee, which is incredibly important for a state like Alaska, obviously. And, and to me, there's a real chance if given a chance of being to retain that chairmanship as a Democrat or even as an independent, that's what would be more likely. She caught, she's an independent caucusing with the Democrats. That would be better than being in a minority in a Senate that is increasingly likely not to have a filibuster next year. And Democrats at this point, the Democrats are going to pick it up. And I think the filibuster is toast. Even Joe Biden finally came out for eliminating the filibuster. And so does she want to be in a minority with no power? Does she want to remain in charge uh, in a state where she actually won in 2000 uh, or four years ago? So 16, she won on the strength of Democratic votes because Republicans were voting for the Republican nominee. And it was Democrats saying, like, uh, that guy looks crazy. I'm not, you know, let's vote for Murkowski. And it was a good bet for Democrats. We got some really key votes from her when we needed to. And to me, it seems like a no-brainer for her to, to switch because Republicans are going to primary her again. Donald Trump's going to go on a war path. Can you imagine an unemployed Donald Trump in 2022? So, um, I mean... The guy's so unhealthy, maybe he might not even be around. But um, I have no doubt that if he loses uh, this year, and I think he is, that he's going to run again in four years if he's still alive. I mean, that dude's not going away. Hmm. Wouldn't that be hard? <laughs> think about that. That's impressive. <laughs> uh, you said also that he's the worst thing to happen to the GOP electorally since Richard Nixon. Yeah, I mean, just on and the numbers. This is one of Marcos's latest piece. I mean, he's quantified it, how much the Republican Party has lost since he's been in office. And yeah. The, hotels. The, the, yeah, I mean, he's lost ground in the Senate, but the Senate was the, the it was a very favorable map in 2018. But still, you know, they've lost ground in the Senate since 2016 they definitely lost ground in the house you know they're they're down over 40 seats and uh, that's despite the fact that the senate or the house has has been gerrymandered to benefit republicans so it'll be really interesting after this reapportionment how those districts get re re uh redrawn because democrats now have a much greater say in in most of the key states in the redistricting process um, 
in the state legislatures. I mean, you've seen dramatic realignment. You know, I think it's three, four hundred state legislators have uh, have flipped to Democrats from Republicans. Uh, governorships. I mean, it, it used to be, and you might have the numbers in front of me. I don't have it in front of me, but there used to be something like thirty-eight to twelve, and now it's twenty-six, twenty-four. Republicans in governorships. Thirty-three, sixteen in twenty sixteen, Republican to Democrat. Now it's twenty-six, twenty-four. I mean, it's almost fifty-fifty. Yeah. Know, so three years. Yep. So. That in a lot of those governorships have been critical governorships in states like Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, uh, oh my God, state legislators. Nevada. State yeah, legislators, Marcos. Listen to this, you all. Um, in 2016, 4,121 Republican state legislators to 3,164 Democratic state legislators. In 2019, 3,834 Republican state legislators to 3,442 Democratic state legislators, a pickup of 278 Democrats. And that that makes a difference in redistricting, does it not? It makes a difference in, first of all, it makes a difference in just legislating. Yeah, in... But it also makes a difference in redistricting. And a lot of those pickups have been really heavily focused on states where we have uh, used redistricting as a reason to rally fundraising and attention. Um, their ability to redistrict is severe or to really draw districts to their advantage is severely hampered. And here's the thing is that redistricting is not just the U.S. House. It's those state legislatures themselves. So by blocking them, and what happens when you, when you, in some of these states, we actually can write our own districts now, but what happens when you block, even if you can just block them, you have one chamber, like in Texas, we need three seats, I think, in the state uh, house to take control of the Texas state house, which I'm really confident we're going to do that this year. We can block redistricting. So what happens, it gets thrown to a judge and a judge will always write fair districts and will always take a fair district over a Republican gerrymander, and, and it dramatically changes the the math, both, at, again, at the federal level, at the U.S. House, but also in those state legislatures themselves, because uh, you have a state like Michigan, Republicans have super majorities, in, had super majorities in those chambers, when they lost the popular vote in 2018 in those state legislative races. That's how heavily gerrymandered they are, right? They they make Detroit one big district, you know, one district, um, and then uh, and then draw themselves. It's 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 gerrymandering, and so the ability to block those gerrymanders is going to dramatically change the, that that um, the shape of governance into twenty thirty. That's how important that has been. It's something we've been focused on for the last four years. It's definitely something that that um, it's going to be a critical. Uh, consideration this year as we choose where to focus our state legislative uh, dollars. And, uh, but it also means just policy. I mean, you have trifectas, democratic trifectas in states like Virginia, right? What do they do? They, they just voted to get rid of all Confederate statutes, right? From the symbolic to the practical on things like choice, like things on, on assistance to low-income people. Uh, 
these issues matter. We won the governorship in Kentucky, right? Blood red Kentucky. This is a state that Trump, again, won by about 30 points. You had the governor say, we're going to extend, uh, we're going to extend our, uh, our universal health care to all black families. Thing, you know, it matters who we elect. It's a, literally a matter of life and death. I mean, you look at Democratic-led states and Republican ones now, not in the initial crush of the virus, right, when it just hit us from and nobody was prepared and people didn't even know how it was spread, right? We had three months to prepare. States like New York, New Jersey with Democratic governors, they got their, you know, they got their, you know, stuff together. Like they, those states have Connecticut, their rates are low and you got to watch it. It's dangerous, it's scary. But then you look at Florida and Arizona and Georgia and Texas, where these uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Oklahoma, where the Oklahoma governor now has COVID, <clears throat> where ideology trumped science and people are dying and thousands of people are going to die, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, because from Trump on down to those governors, they refuse to listen to the science, to the experts, because that sort of core Republican ideology. It's finally out in the open. It's, it's overtly racist. It's anti-science. It's anti-good governor go- governance. And obviously, we're seeing what those repercussions are. And that's why I think Trump has really crushed the Republican Party. And so in 2018, what was the 2018 campaign for Republicans? It was Salvadoran gang members. Remember, there was like, there was just three Salvadoran with all the tattoos, looking Mr. fierce and scary. And that was the 2018 campaign and the caravan from Honduras. Oh no, the caravan. They got their asses whooped. Like people are like, we can handle, that's okay, right? The fear mongering didn't work. I don't even know what their campaign is in 2020. It's, 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 Confederate statues and Goya beans and something about Hunter Biden where, you know, Trump on Tuesday or it's Hunter Biden. Like, is there a single person in the world that's wondering where Hunter Biden is except maybe Joe and Jill? <laughs> you know, why hasn't Hunter called, right? I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, it is, it's, he can't even focus. They tried this Obamagate thing, right? Or, you know, and, and Republicans have an ability when they get their right wing machine focus on something, they have the ability to turn it into something like Hillary's emails. But they don't even know what to talk about because Trump's all over the place every day. And so they can't even come up with a message that they can run on. So it's just this mishmash of nonsense and racism and sexism. And they look at Joe Biden. And I gotta, I gotta say, um, Mark, that. I disagreed, obviously, with Joe Biden getting the nomination, but black voters made this very conscious, deliberate choice to pick the most boring, non-offensive in racial and in sexist terms candidate possible, right? The old white guy, like, because we don't want to threaten this relation, you know, this this race anymore, and everybody else. It's going to be more of an issue if they're a woman, if they're black, uh, if they're Latino. That's that's dangerous. Let's just pick the boring white guy that everybody knows. And obviously, I disagreed with that decision just on on ideology, right? But holy shit, is it paying off? (laughs) It really is paying off. They don't know what to do with Biden. He's sleepy. 
no, he's he's creepy. Like they there's they can't really go to their sexist and racist. And that was all deliberate, right? Black voters knew that. Like it was it was clear in focus groups and in polling. Like this this is not an accident, political accident. This was a conscious decision black voters in South Carolina and elsewhere made to pick the guy that Republicans would have a hard time running against because they wouldn't be able to resort to the racist and sexist tropes. And it really is working. They haven't laid it. And and COVID's been great, right, for Biden because it forces him to not campaign, which the best Biden is the Biden that's not speaking publicly, (laughs) which is the sad sad (laughs) truth. (laughs) But... And then Republicans are frustrated. I'm get a call in his Did you let Marco say that it's best for him not to campaign? I'm, I'll just it is, I'm just accept. It, go out, do scripted events like he just did his <laughs> his 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 release of the climate change plan. A plus, you know, he's he's solid on ideology and policy. He's definitely moved to the left since the primary. Right. He's sounding he's sounding more activistic. Right. It's not no longer talking about going back to the status quo. Because now we all know the status quo kind of sucked yeah. on climate change, on race relations, on right. income inequality. Yeah. Um, lastly, he's running an ad in Texas, and that's gotten big news. How competitive is Texas? Texas is competitive. The uh, this is one of those states that if you were go to if you were to go to civics and you would look at Trump's approval number, and then people's uh, feelings towards uh, the federal and the state response to the COVID crisis, they're all dramatically shifting. And as Trump's approval numbers drop, like I said, it's almost directly correlated. I, in fact, I think it's directly correlated right now. I haven't found an exception where Trump's approval numbers match his, uh, his um, share of the, of, the, of the head-to-head vote against Joe Biden. And Trump was like at 55% at the beginning of the year in Texas. And I think right now he's at 47%, which still means he's around 49% of the head-to-head, which means he wins. But it's 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 like this, right? His numbers are going down. And that's the that's the um that's the difference. If the election was today, Trump wins. I mean, I'm not gonna, but it's the way the trends are headed and the fact that t- Texas is just getting slammed both in new cases and in deaths. I mean, they're averaging triple digit um, daily deaths at this point, and those numbers are gonna get worse and worse and worse. Um, So yeah, I absolutely think Texas is competitive. And uh, not only is that important for the presidential, and I wanna just kind of keep stressing this so people realize it, it doesn't even matter if Biden wins Texas. The fact is we have a chance to win the Senate seat in Texas with MJ Hager. And she has a better chance to win if she only needs 5% of Trump voters to not vote or, you know, or split their ballot, as opposed to if Trump was winning by 10. I mean, that's the key. It's how do we get these down ballot candidates over the hump? We also need to win in uh, state legislative races so we can we can have a say in redistricting. That's big factor. So, and you have competitive congressional races, both defending some seats we won in 2018, and there's a couple new pickup opportunities as well. All of this is tied in. So the better Joe Biden does at the top of the ticket, or inversely, the worse Donald Trump does, the better our chances are of us to have this massive wave election down ballot. So absolutely, Texas should be fought. 
ever. Uh, no, we, it, it absolutely must be. Folks, we must be competitive everywhere. It ain't over yet. Stay motivated. Check out dailycoast.com, civics with a Q, uh, .com. Uh, Things are looking up. We want them to stay that way. So, yeah, in, in 2018, we had this sort of same debate, right? The polling right. looked really good, and the, we don't want people to stay home. And, but they didn't, right? Because now the motivation is, oh, God, we need to, like, we, we can't let Trump win. The motivation is, how do we create this dramatic shift in our nation's politics by just wiping out the GOP from top to bottom? We have a historic opportunity right now to take what has been four years of absolute horrid Trump governance and make some good out of it, like pull something, that silver lining that says we dramatically transformed our nation's politics. That's what's on the ballot this time. It's not whether we get rid of Trump. Trump, I think, is gone, absent shenanigans of, uh, it's how deeply we can deliver pain to the GOP. And we, like I said, it's it's looking really bleak for them. Let's throw that anchor. You know, you said uh, throw an anchor, but not a lifeline. Now, you didn't realize it earlier, you, you uh, freudianly said, oh, Biden, a little earlier in, in our conversation today. And that's not uncommon. But <laughs> we had this opportunity in 2008. And, you know, Obama, student of Lincoln, through a lifeline. So I want everybody, because he, he, he could have been vanquished then, the party. It was electorally done then. And... Um, this time, though, you all heard Marcos. Even if it's President O'Biden, we need to make sure that this is an anchor, not a lifeline that is thrown. Just want to emphasize yeah. that point. Because we already have them. As I said, y'all, and I've said it before, too. Sometimes we repeat ourselves because repetition is key to people getting it in their minds. Fox News is repetitive vis-a-vis their propaganda all the time. So repetition in media makes a difference. So I've said this before. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have a multi-party democracy within the Democratic Party. So we just need more than one party. Well, let's just break up Democratic Party like they broke up Ma Bell. And let's have a women's party and a labor party, an African-American party. And we'd have them all. Just have all these different, I mean, I would be totally fine with that if that's what will make people feel better. But we do not need a party of exclusively for the benefit of rich white men, which is what the Republican Party is. Note I said rich white men, because some of y'all poor white men stink, think it's for you, and it really isn't. That's the point Reverend Barber's been, he's been doing what he's doing, trying to get that in y'all's heads. Some of y'all still don't get that. There's my party. No, it's not. So, <laughs> um, and that's why you're down of COVID. That's why your jobs aren't coming back after COVID. Yeah. Right? So, I know everybody can't handle that right now, because you're caught up in the Confederate statues, because you think that's going to, food on the table and pay the bills after COVID. I don't know how, but we, we need to, it's a, it's a distraction from that reality. And it makes you feel good somehow, I don't know. But yeah. anchor, and I'll make the Marcos now make the argument, we can't have one party democracy. Okay, well let's do a monopoly breakup of the Democratic Party and just have everybody in their own party. And then when they all come together, when it's time to come together, no big deal. And we're we'll you- gonna agree anyway. If you want to have a Republican Party that says we should spend less or there's market solutions for some of these issues, great. But anti-science, you know, Jennifer Rubin is a Washington Post columnist and a never-Trumper, 
conservative. And she just wrote a piece where she says, you know, just destroy the Republican Party. It's done. It's broken. We need a party that has solutions for climate change and race relations and income inequality. And I'm like, yeah, it's called a Democratic Party. <laughs> it exists. Right. <laughs> yes, that's the party that cares about those things. But if they want to come up with a with a new party that that just says less government involvement, we say no, the government's more involved. Okay, great. That we can have that argument. We that's but what we have now isn't a ideological we're not even arguing with facts anymore. Like we're fact-based, they're not fact-based, they're hue-based. And that's that's not a that's just not a party anymore. It's not worth saving. Dailycoach.com, civics.com with the Q. Marcos Melissa's is always here with us every Thursday for Thursday Coast, and we have fun doing this. Thank you, buddy, as always. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.